This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swan's Crossing! The audio on our podcast has never been great. It's just part of our branding now. Right. Your beard looks good. Have you been growing that in? Yeah, I grew it in for Holiday Festival. I know I didn't come to Holiday Festival. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. You would have had a great time. It was really fun. I bet it was, and I regret not going. Paul suddenly decided to take a job with FedEx, which he's really been enjoying, but that whole thing just like threw all of our plans into a crazy loop, and I was like, all right, so now I'm scrambling to figure out what I'm doing from day to day, because... I got to do all the housework and feed the cats and do things that Paul was doing before. Terrible. I know. I missed my house husband. I know. It's bad. I was going to ask if y'all are sticking around for the holidays or if you have travel plans. What are you doing? Well, we typically go, well, when there's not a raging pandemic without vaccines, we uh, have a tradition of spending Christmas Eve with my sister over in Monroe and then going to see Paul's family on Christmas Day. So we're going to do that this year, which will be nice. But other than Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we will be in town. That's what are cool. you guys up to? I, we're we're heading out of town, and we're going to New York to see my brother, nice. and then to Kansas City to see my parents and my other brother. Well, you know, everything's up to date in Kansas City. They have gone as far as they can go. Or as the original text says... As fur as they can go. I didn't didn't realize this until this last year, but Oklahoma was written in a weird spelled vernacular, like stereotype of Midwestern speech. Wow. It it is, uh, it's rough. I, I did Oklahoma in high school, in my performing arts high school. So we had a big to do. It was a a major production and uh, it was fun. Had a good time, but I mainly remember it because uh, my dirty classmates and I rewrote the entire musical score with alternate lyrics that were all naughty. So we were on stage trying desperately to sing the actual lyrics and not the ones that we had memorized, which referenced sex a lot. I don't know if you're uh, if we're talking about the same Oklahoma because the original Oklahoma lyrics reference sex a ton. Oh, I know. I played Ado Annie. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> of course you did. Yeah, we made it even dirtier oh, because that's what we do. Anyway, yeah, uh, happy holidays, listeners. Whether you celebrate Hanukkah, which I think is over now. <laughs> But happy retroactive Hanukkah. Well, we'll definitely be over by the time this comes out. Yes. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Yule. Happy Eid. What else What else am I missing here? I'm sure I'm probably missing a lot. Diwali kind of already happened. Are we a- yeah, I don't know. Anyway, just happy holidays to all of you. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit sad that we never got any kind of holiday episode on Swan's Crossing because we only got one season and it was all set during the summer. I was. I did walk in today. With the plan of asking you what your fanfic holiday 
special of Swan's Crossing would be and wondering if you would create a bonus episode for our listeners of what happens in the Swan's Crossing holiday special. Yes, I will, Nathan. I will. What a glorious idea. Um, our finale for for uh, season three here episode 30 was originally scheduled to come out on December 25th, but maybe I'll do that instead. And we'll push that one until the week, the Saturday after that, by the way, <laughs> this has got to grow up sometime. Swan's crossing retrospective. <laughs> I'm Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler Jeffrey, and we are still very good at podcasting. Yeah, we're great at it in case you haven't guessed by now. Oh, my oh Lordy. Um, so we watched episode 29 how did you feel about it, Nathan? Your, your overall impression? Uh, it was nice to be back. It's been a it's been a minute since we recorded, and I really I had a good time. I appreciated uh, Callie very much in this episode. Yeah, uh, I can't wait to talk to you about the thumbnail uh, <laughs> because the thumbnail I feel like could be for any episode of Swan's Crossing ever. <laughs> Tell us, tell us the thumbnail. In the in the shoutfactory.tv thumbnail for episode 29 of Swan's Crossing, Glory is sitting on her bed in her room, back facing the camera, facing Sandy, whose arms are crossed, like she's just received incredibly disappointing news. My assumption, based on every episode we've watched so far, is that Sandy has just received incredibly disappointing news. <laughs> That's kind of what Sandy does. And my favorite thing about this thumbnail is that in the lower left corner at the base of Lori's bed are two large teddy bears leaning against each other as though they were quietly whispering, can you believe this shit, Lou? <laughs> yeah, I honestly have no idea what I predicted for this episode. It's, so I have no idea how right I was. It's pretty fun. So you predicted nothing political would happen. But you would love it if there was a West Wing version of Swan's Crossing with local low-stakes politics. You predicted that there would be something weird about the way Neil disappeared. You didn't have any specific guesses about what happened to him, but something fishy was going on. That was correct. Mm. You decided that Sydney would get out of the house to meet Garrett, and that's when she would plead with him to get rid of the birth certificate. Sydney <laughs> never leaves the house, and I wish she would. Well, she does right at the end. Of the no, no, she does. At the very end. Yep. Um, so that kind of counts, because, yeah. I'm not answering that, Garrett. You so did. I'm going to give myself two-thirds okay. of that prediction. That's fair. You decided that uh, Callie and Jimmy would meet up with the tool and die and have an awkward conversation without any flirting, since now Callie is hurt and betrayed by all of his flirting with other girls. That is totally correct. Boom. Boom. I'm four for four so far. This is one of your best streaks so far. You decided that Jimmy must actually be into Callie and is trying to figure out how to handle that, but he's put off by Callie's rebuffing. That is also correct. Because he does mention to Barrick that that he feels like he screwed everything up with Callie and that upsets him. Yeah. And you predicted that now that Neil is back, they would have to figure out how to smooth things over with Mrs. Atwater so they don't lose their funding. Also correct! You got 100%. I think this is the first time you've basically had every prediction come true. Almost halfway through, folks. I've finally dialed it in. <laughs> Just in time to get knocked for a loop again because the next, the next uh, opening of season four is going to be wild.
Mm. We open in JT's room where he has dragged Neil. Neil is super tired, yawning like crazy, and he flops into the hammock while JT tries to interest him in the ins and outs of the party. He asks if Neil wants his beaver back before realizing that Neil didn't even realize it was gone. They have this conversation about why Neil is acting so weird and suddenly begin to wonder if someone had tried to knock Neil out. Yeah, Neil's exact words are, it's almost as if I ingested a foreign depressive sedative. So they kind of start to realize that someone roofied Neil. I'm going back to my theory of it being jazz. (laughs) that in my notes too i was like maybe it was jazz uh we cut over to the pool at the swans club saja approaches callie at the snack bar to thank her for quote helping them find neil (laughs) which i mean if you recall from last episode listeners her advice was where did you last see him speaking Uh, of which he's like he's gushing about how wise callie is like beyond her years and she's like it's just instinct but I think it must have something to do with her hair because it is absolutely huge in this scene. Both Callie and Sandy have very big hair this episode. But like Sandy fairly frequently has big hair. Callie's hair is usually curly, but not like brushed out. It is brushed out here. It's wide. She talks about uh, instinct being like fishing. Saja begins a reverie on casting a line into a pond and creating ripples, which become waves, which become bigger waves. And then we get the lovely racist gong sound as he crouches by the pool. (laughs) And then we just cut to Sydney sitting in her window seat, staring forlornly up at the sky. She looks so sad. The lighting in this scene. Honestly, it's dawn. But it looks 100% like Twilight. Like, it is It is very specifically morning in this scene. Oh, yeah. And it looks like she is gazing at a setting sun. Yeah. What she's actually gazing at, we find out later, <laughs> is the Fabian shade over at the booth house. <laughs> she can't take her eyes off it. Sandy comes in to ask if she's okay because she left the meeting so suddenly. And if you'll remember... I posited that maybe Sydney had diarrhea because she literally just got up and ran from the meeting. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sometimes, sometimes you just gotta go. You never know what's going to hit. So while Sandy chatters about the exciting end of the meeting when Neil was found, Sydney gazes at a little necklace locket thingy in her hand, which is monogrammed with her initials. It's also underscored by this incredible piano music that does not sound nearly as synthy as every other piece of music in the show. <laughs> Um, so it's, they're really playing up the melodrama in this scene. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I love, this is the, the music that I refer to in my head as the Sydney's pensive theme. And, um, I will, I'll drop a little sample of it right here in the episode. Sandy is going on about red and blue bunting and, Sydney snaps at her. Can't you see I'm busy? <laughs> My immediate response was, nah, bitch. You're like gazing out the window. Seriously. What are you doing? All she's doing is sitting on a window bench and gazing. It's the least busy oh Sydney has ever been. Um, she gives one last dramatic stare out the window, and then we see Glory's window, where Fabian is leering back at us while the psycho music plays. Uh, we cut to the theme song, which they've gone back to the old edit. Yeah, I noticed that. Film. Yeah. Very unexpected. Very upsetting. Uh, the slow dance 
into the uh, ejaculate explosion is gone. <laughs> Very upset about that. R.I.P. And we cut back to the tool and die where Barrick enters on Jimmy taking apart what appears to be the wheel of a bike or an ATV. Yeah, something like that. And he addresses Jimmy as Studnik. Oh my god! So gosh. gross. And Barrick's like, did you play with fire last night? And Jimmy says... More like a block of ice. Uh, not true. He had a threesome with Sandy and Nancy. That's what I literally in my notes put. Dude, you had a Bugsy Malone threesome. <laughs> Derek says, well, there's more important things than girls, like cars. And then he reels off the description of Sophia's car one more time, just in case we didn't get that we were in sexy car innuendo territory. Right. And Jimmy's like, don't talk to me about Sophia. Callie's never going to forgive me. <laughs> hey, how did you know? And I was like, good question, Jimmy. How does Barrick know the things that Barrick knows? Yeah, Barrick. Very upset. This is really weird. Barrick kind of brushes it off and he's like, oh, you know, it's a small town. You get to know everybody's business. And then he's like, I'm going to go take care of some business right now myself. And he, he says that Callie's going to be here soon. And he's like, hold down the shop. Jimmy is left alone. He glances at his watch. Then we cut to what's clearly another watch on a different arm. But then we cut again to Garrett chiseling the big rock out of the hole, which was previously patched up in the stone wall. And although Garrett is wearing a wristwatch, it's obviously a third entirely different watch. (laughs) What is happening here? All of those are good questions, Libby. But before we leave this scene, number one, to Barrick's point, you and I live in a small town, and I fully believe that I could know literally anything about anyone that I wanted to at any time. Oh, yeah, so, 100%. To Barrick's point, that's accurate. <laughs> I, I gotta give him that one. Secondly, Barrick has been in the shop for 45 seconds when he's like, I gotta leave to do some errands. Can you hold down the fort? <laughs> Barrick. I love that his his supervisory capacity <laughs> ends with, I'm going to come to the shop, make sure that one of the kids is doing my job. <laughs> and then 45 seconds later, I'm going to leave. I have had managers who were like this, though. Like, there's one in particular. I had this incredibly stressful high-stakes job where I was working triage admitting at an emergency veterinary hospital. And the manager, like, I'm sorry, at an emergency what hospital? Veterinary hospital. It was it was a vet hospital, and we had a lot of specialists there, so we would get all the like really bad trauma cases that like other vets couldn't handle. They would just like divert them to us. So it was uh-huh. constant. Well, usually a, a very high flow of really intense traffic coming through the doors, and we had to like make split second decisions about who would get treated first and who would wait for a few minutes. Um, uh-huh. And the manager there basically just didn't work and sometimes we would need her to step in and like settle you know like owners of pets who were sick or injured would get upset that we had to triage them and she we would call her sometimes to come down and step in and she would respond with i can't come right now because i am emotionally unavailable (laughs) it was the most insane thing like i worked there for a year and it was all like 365 days of absolute insanity and someday i will write a memoir about it I listen. I'm, I've never read one of your books. I would really like to read one of your books, but uh, that one, like, like, I would pre-order a copy. Of. I know it was intense. It was wild. Anyway, um, um, Garrett. Wait, 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 wait. I just want to go back to one thing you said because you said veterinary hospital, <laughs> and what I heard was 
urinary hospital. I thought you were doing triage for people with bladder problems. <laughs> no, but there were a lot of bladder problems among the pets. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there were. I'm sure there were. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're out of Barrick. Thank God. Yes. Uh, um, uh, Garrett... Garrett's using this masonry masonry chisel on the mortar between the stones of the wall and no man's land, blows some dust from the top of the stone, runs a hand through his hair, and catchphrase. Ooh, I love myself. It should be noted, by the way, he doesn't remove the stone. He just wangs it a few times with this chisel, blows the dust off, and loves himself. Have you seen Free Guy yet? No. See Free Guy. There's a character, one of the NPCs in the universe of Free Guy is uh, is inserted into the game before he's fully developed. <laughs> and one of, his, one of his lines is, catchphrase. <laughs> because, <laughs> because they haven't inserted the catchphrase into his programming. That's awesome. Yeah. Now every time Garrett says, ooh, I love myself, I think, Catchphrase. <laughs> it's pretty accurate. <laughs> well, we cut back to Sydney's bedroom where Sandy is still trying to interest her in the meeting notes. Sydney asks if Sandy doesn't have anything better to do right now. And Sandy's like, I put off doing the laundry and promised my, my mom two extra dog walks just so I could come here and give you this report. And Sydney lays, like, lounges across her bed and goes, I've got too much on my mind. It's easy for you to concentrate on just one thing. You don't have much going on in your life. Such a bitch. My God. As Sandy is standing there like a secretary with a clipboard. Yeah, it actually sounds like Sandy has a lot going on because she has to do chores and walk her dog while Sydney just moons around on her various window seats and fainting couches, staring and sighing and looking at Fabian. Sydney goes on about all that Sandy has to do is Songs, laundry, dog walks. I, on the other hand, have so many social obligations. Social obligations. And Sandy says, I don't know what it's like to be you. And Sydney turns around, glares at her, and goes, and you never will. <laughs> so good. Sandy kind of catches sight of this locket that Sydney has in her hand. And she's like, yes, it was my grandmother's locket. She has the same initials. And Sandy takes the locket and looks at the pictures inside. And she's like, oh, is this your grandmother? She doesn't look like you at all. And Sydney, like, immediately grabs her by the arm and hustles her out of the room and, like, throws her out and slams the door. It's crazy. It's, it's so funny. <laughs> it's so fu- But also, can I just say that the question, is this your grandmother, is stupid. <laughs> It'd be weird if it wasn't, Sandy. <laughs> no, it's the neighbor lady, Gladys. <laughs> Sydney, Sydney takes the locket. Strolls back to the window. The piano music comes back in. She gazes across the yard at Fabian and she says, no way. I'll mix Paisley and Plaid before I ever meet him in no man's land. Is mixing Paisley and Plaid the swan's equivalent of the Cruciatus curse? (laughs) Like, one one of the three unforgivable things. It's totally unforgivable. I love that. Oh, man. Well, when we come back from commercial, we see Saja and Callie at the pool. And Saja's complaining about all the shitty things Sophia has ever done to him. And in fairness, it's a lot of shitty things. It is. But Callie's like, I don't want to hear about Sophia. And he tries to change the subject to Jimmy. And she's like, I don't want to talk about Jimmy either. So she asks about Neil. And she wants to know why Neil and JT were so, or, or why Saja and JT were so freaked out last night over Neil. Saja looks around. Gets Callie to agree that what he's about to tell her stays between the two of them. And I'm thinking, 
This is exactly what you told JT you wouldn't do, bud. <laughs> I know, but then in order to preserve their secrecy, he takes her aside so no one will overhear them, which he accomplishes by just turning around. Like, they're still standing in exactly the same place, but now their positions are reversed, because I guess that activates the cone of silence? I don't know. <laughs> but Saja said JT and Neil are working on something more important than solar batteries. But he doesn't have any more information than that. He's like, that's all I know. And Callie is like, slowly starting to put some puzzle pieces together, maybe beginning to understand that Barrick's weirdness might have something to do with whatever Neil and JT are working on. Very concerned. Yeah, she does. And she says Neil's lucky to be alive. And she storms away. As the synth music comes in. Oh, that synth music. Cut to Neil on JT's phone being chewed out by his mom, and it's that see-through phone with all the brightly colored circuits inside, which was super popular back in the early 90s. I remember, like, any kid who had this phone was hot shit. My favorite thing about this phone conversation is is the way... First of all, we hear someone on the other end of the phone, which is the first time that this has happened in the entirety of 29 episodes. And secondly... The way that Neil holds the phone away from himself is amazing to me. Like, half of the time, it looks like he has just picked it up and is, and is about to put it to his ear. It's great. And you can hear a woman just, like, yelling at him on the other end. So it's totally, it's a believable mom moment. And uh, Neil's like, yeah, 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 I promise I'll come home soon. And then he just, like, hangs up. And Neil tells JT their funding isn't cut off yet because his dad still thinks they're working on like a new face cream for the Atwater Cosmetics Company. JT wants to know what they're going to do if Mr. Robinson uh, asks for it. Or Mr. <laughs> Atwater. Atwater, excuse me. <laughs> Robinson is the actor's yeah. last name. Mr. Atwater asks for it. Neil, Neil wonders if they'll even be here that by that point and the sinister synth music comes in. <laughs> so they start walking through last night. Apparently, Neil's drink tasted a little weird, a little acidic. He put it down when Mila asked him to dance. And JT asks him, was that enough time for someone to mess with the molecular structure of your punch? And, J and Neil says, well, it seems like an eternity to me. <laughs> and JT's like, really? You were dancing with Mila Rosnovsky and it felt like an eternity to you? <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Legitimately gobsmacked, which is the understandable response. Yes. Well, they try to puzzle out why someone would want to drug him. And Neil's like, I'm not missing anything. Like, I have my wallet. You found my beeper. So they didn't take that. So they just can't figure out why someone would do it. And at this point in my notes, I wrote, are we sure it wasn't jazz? <laughs> See, I had a different response. Because Neil, Neil says he's not missing anything. And then the last thing that he says is, at least now I hope you realize how serious this is. And I wrote, did Neil fake his own drugging? He was so desperate to get JT's love back. <laughs> oh my God. That he faked his own drugging and disappeared for a night. So dramatic. Neil asks what clued JT in that he might be in trouble last night. And JT says, oh, well, Katie told me that someone called for Professor Van. So that was when he really started to get worried. And Neil freaks out and they get really anxious about who's after their top secret project. But Neil takes a moment and says, I'm glad we're in this together. And they are in love and I want them to be happy forever. <laughs> uh, Neil closes JT's door with a remote control. They sit down and get to work. Um, and... We don't know what that work is because we cut to Glory's room. 
because the whole last scene that we just watched was in there to provide exposition for last from last episode. Yes, indeed. Uh, Glory rolls her eyes at the Fabian shade, and then she gets the poetry book from underneath a teddy bear while the romantic sax jam plays. She dreamily reads out a verse, which is this. When you are not here and we are not paired, two dead lizards in a lizard pie squared. Beautiful. Can I just say... The poetry book is getting way more play than I ever thought that it would. Are you surprised by this? No. I mean, I here's, like early on in, a, in an episode, we find out that JT kept Glory's spelling book. And that was a big thing, and it made a big like impact on her, and we never heard about it again. I'm a... But this damn poetry book... Has been in like 16 episodes at this point. Yeah. It's almost like maybe it's a plot device. Oh. It is. It is. Like <laughs> I, I can't wait until Garrett actually gets a hold of the poetry book. That that day, I, I firmly believe this guy. All right. Um, Sandy comes in depressed as hell because that's what Sandy does. And she complains about what a jerk Sydney was to her, which is fair because Sydney was a jerk and she should complain about that. <laughs> Just if we all remember from the thumbnail, it's almost like Sandy has just received incredibly disappointing news. <laughs> she and Glory agree that Sydney really hasn't been herself lately, and then the phone rings. It's someone calling to say they need to see Sandy right away, and Sandy gets all psyched thinking it's Sydney, but it was just her mom who wants Sandy to come home to help her make dinner. The stacked music comes back in as Glory returns to the poetry notebook but she's interrupted by Garrett's arrival. Yes, he's come in to take down the shade and Glory says, oh, did Sydney finally meet you? And he says, no, but she will. <laughs> Ew. So we, we cut to yeah, go ahead. Barrick entering the tool, tool and die. He opens a secret and not well hidden compartment in a couple of crates, <laughs> takes a white paper bag from it and crosses out behind the crates. Is that... The same bag that he said was his ice cream? I think so. I'm not sure, though. Um, This bag is, you know, not large. It's like a medium-sized paper bag. It's kind of folded over and and crinkled up like it's been handled a lot. And yeah, he heads off down the alley. But Callie saw. Of course Callie saw. It's unclear that Callie saw. (laughs) The next shot that we get is of Callie. But there is legitimately no frame of reference in this shot as to where she is physically or what she's looking at. That's true, but we do see Callie staring intently at something, and we just saw Barrick sneaking away, so we can assume, I think, maybe, that she saw Barrick. I think I think that is the intention, but you know what, Libby? Given what has happened in this show so far, I will take nothing for granted. <laughs> probably smart we cut to commercial and then when we're back we're in jt's room again where the computer is beeping and displaying in 72 point font delete containment shell material file y slash n you remember libby when you had to press y slash n for things oh yeah i remember dos for sure i'm old as hell dos neil selects yes so he and jt are methodically deleting all their computer files pertaining to ub2b because they're concerned that someone has tampered with their secret equations but they've still got everything in their heads. And to prove it, Neil drills JT on various parts of UB2B, and JT can't remember. JT has, they've already deleted the files, <laughs> and JT has nothing. 
then Neil's like, don't worry about it because I've got it all in my head, so it's fine. And then JT's like, but what if something happens to you again? Like, what if you go down is, is the way they phrase it. And he's like, we need to come up with an additional plan uh, as backup. And Neil's like, listen, if I go down, you should just shift gears, forget all about astrophysics and become a poet. <laughs> There's a huge eye roll from JT and also from me. <laughs> Neil's like, don't worry, man, we're not going down yet. We're still in the game. And then to seal the deal, they give a hearty 90s hand clasp while they stare intensely into each other's eyes. It's it's really like the teen equivalent of the Predator handshake. <laughs> it totally is. It's amazing because these kids have no muscles at this point. <laughs> it's, it's just skin over flesh and bone. <laughs> like, They're trying though. Bless their hearts. We cut to Callie quietly entering the tool and die. Jimmy enters from the other direction and states... He didn't know she was taking the afternoon off. Uh, she doesn't answer, just asks where Barrick said he was going, running some errands. Uh, and Callie, this is my favorite scene in this episode because Callie is just not having anyone. Shit. Yeah, she's done. Jimmy kind of won't answer yeah. anything about Barrick. And then he like tries to launch into some explanation of what happened last night at the dance. He's like, look, Sophia cornered me. Uh, no, she did not. She did not corner you. She forced Callie and Saja to dance together, and then she stroked your neck until you agreed to leave with her. That's not cornering. Well, the whole thing kind of erupts into a fight, and Callie, who, as we have stated before, no longer taking anyone's shit for any reason, storms out. But while she storms out, twiddly flute music plays, which is definitely the wrong music for storming out. We cut to Sydney walking through town, Garrett sort of like jumps out at her. How is, and literally in capital letters I have, how is he not still grounded? Well, that is kind of brought up in the scene because she was like, aren't you grounded? Why are you here? And he said, oh, I'm running errands for my dad. Very convenient. Which is which is nice to know that Garrett is final 30 episodes in, Garrett is finally helping out with those cash flow problems. <laughs> He intentionally calls her Sandy just to get her goat. And then Sydney's like, I'm busy right now. I got to do stuff for the stage committee and for my mom's campaign. And he's like, well, bask in the limelight while you still can. And then Sydney's like, in your face, my mom's ahead in the polls. And Garrett's like, not for long. This is about as much political conversation as we get in this particular episode. Yeah, it's pretty great. She tries to go around him. He keeps getting in her way in, like, the most obnoxious way possible. And she says, Garrett, leave me alone. And then we have one of my favorite soap opera tropes of all time. When a character says an exit line, turns, and doesn't leave because we have to stay in a stacked two <laughs> I'm leaving, turns around, and doesn't leave. <laughs> and in that stack two shot, we see Garrett pull out the birth certificate, which has not been damaged at all from that time Sydney threw him into the pool. He makes a vague threat about giving the birth certificate to someone else, and he strolls away while the camera freezes on Sydney's contern <laughs> Damn it. While the camera freezes on Sydney's concerned face, and the credits roll. Her contorned face. Her contorned face. <laughs> Now I'm leaving that in. Who was our psychopath of the week? Sydney, I mean, yeah, 100%. Obviously, right? What a turd. <laughs> she was really bad in this episode. I mean, even for Sydney, she was bad. To Sarah Michelle Gellar's credit, very good at being bad. Oh, yeah. She's fantastic. She plays a great villain. Um, well, did you get a swan count? Two new fake swans. 
Uh, I don't. I don't have the running total. Give me a That's moment. That's all right. It's it's two more fake swans, everybody. We're up to like eighty thousand. Yeah, I think I seriously think it's like eighty-seven fake swans at this point, or something. Whatever. We can we can adapt it. We can a- adjust it later. So, what are your predictions for next week? The close of season three. Oh, okay, here we go. I think Garrett is never actually going to give that paper to anyone. I think it gets destroyed somehow. I don't know that that happens in the next episode. It'll probably drag on until the following week. Um, I think in the next episode, Callie's still searching for Barrick. Neil and JT are trying to figure out how to continue working on UB2B without a computer. Owen and Mila are finally in the studio, and Sandy finally goes there. I've been predicting this for like four episodes. So Sandy finally goes there after helping out with dinner, of course. Jimmy keeps pursuing Callie, and his presence prevents her from discovering what Barrick is up to with his ominous white paper bag. Those are my predictions for next week. All right, you had those ready to go, man, because I had to really type fast like Neil to keep up with you. Most of the time, I wait until we're recording to do my predictions because I like I I learn things through doing the recording. But this time, I definitely like I, I got done watching the episode and I was like, "Here's what's happening." <laughs> <laughs> well, you were a hundred percent last time, so we'll see how well you do next time. Whether whether your skills have adapted at last to the Swans Crossing universe or whether you will still be baffled by this strange and mysterious TV show. Indeed. Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up Sometime, from the hit show Swans Crossing. Yes, and if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod and on Instagram at Swans Cross Pod. And uh, until next time, friends, do you have one, Nathan? Because I don't. And until next time, friends, may you turn and pause after all of your exit lines. Paisley had the plaid before I meet him at No Man's Land.